Hello, Texans. It's the show that gets you inside NRG Stadium. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Good evening as we talk Texans and other stuff related to the world of professional and maybe not so professional football. Johnny, here we go. A.J. McCarron, the report started yesterday that he is a Houston Texan now, a backup quarterback for this team. What do you make of it? I kind of like this thing here. Yeah. I, I didn't really figure on it coming into the offseason, but the more I think about it, the more I like it. Yeah, I saw when he was released by the Raiders, and I thought, you know, every time you see something like that, you go, hmm, yeah, I could see that. Absolutely. Look, he's got a lot of skins on the wall, especially from, from college, what he was able to do at Alabama. But I think a lot of people forget, because it was three years ago now when he was with Cincinnati, in that 2015 season when Cincinnati was undefeated, you know, the one when we went up and we yep. beat them on a Monday night. Later in that year, Andy Dalton was having just an incredible season, and he gets hurt, broke his wrist or dislocated his wrist, and so he was done for the year. So A.J. had to take over. And I remember watching that Monday night game, wanting the Broncos to beat the Bengals, yep. and then make McCarron brought him back and ended up winning that game. Look, it's a, it's a backup quarterback situation. And I think me- – no matter who you talk to, they've all got different theories about you know backup quarterbacks. I think some people will tell you, and and I I I'm of this mindset to a degree. If you lose your starting quarterback in in our case, if we lose Deshaun, there's going to be a ceiling on what you're going to do anyways on your season. Right. There's going to be a complete total season. Now it doesn't have to fall off the four and twelve, and I think that's why looking at a guy like AJ McCarron, you feel like, hey, could AJ just keep? The truck grinding. Maybe you don't have the, the Lamborghini anymore, but maybe you end up having a truck that just kind of grinds on through, and yeah. maybe you end up winning ugly a little bit. Like AJ's got a lot to learn in this particular offense, but you know, he schooled at Alabama with Nick Saban and went through, uh, you know, I want to say Lane Kiffin was there while he was there. So he's, he's learned at the hand of some pretty good coordinators, coaches along the way, and now he's got an opportunity to come here. And I know people say, well, wait a second, you know, he flamed out Buffalo and then it didn't work in Oakland. Look, Buffalo, he got hurt right, and didn't really get that opportunity. He went to Oakland, Derek Carr was the guy. So yeah. I think I think A.J. knows what his lot is, and that is to be a backup quarterback. But if he gets opportunity during preseason, and he's going to get a lot of opportunity during preseason. Yep. So when he gets an opportunity during preseason – He's going to be able to prove to everybody, look, I'm the right guy for this. If they have to hand the ball to me at some point because Deshaun is hurt, can't go, there's no bus, the trip to Denver <laughs> is too long to take, whatever the case might be, then A.J.'s got to step up and, and be that guy. So they definitely go They go younger, and they go with A.J. McCarron. They go the guy that doesn't know the offense, and he's going to have a, he's going to have a lot of learning come conditioning time. So for him, it's getting conditioned and then learning – everything there is to know about this offense. Well, you know me, I always like to look back on franchise history. And when you talk about backup quarterbacks who have played that were part of this franchise, Tony Banks had certainly played. Yep. And he was benched for the Ravens in their Super Bowl season, the first one. Yeah, 2000. Yeah, when Trent Dilfer came in Mm -hmm. and won the Super Bowl with them. But Banks was actually putting up pretty good numbers when he was benched. Then they sort of changed their whole identity to a more defensive team and ball control. And... You look at some of the other guys they've had here who have played well, like T.J. Yates, but I'll go back to Yates. This is kind of like getting Leinert in a way. It's getting a guy like that who had played a little bit, and Leinert was actually supposed to be a franchise quarterback, sure. and he was a first-round draft pick, so maybe it's not kind of like But Leinert was a really accomplished quarterback. A.J. McCarron was a really accomplished quarterback in college, college I'm saying. Yeah. And 
I think it's a good insurance policy for them. What do you want out of your backup quarterback? Like you said, somebody who can play if the starter goes down. And I think in this case, this is somebody who still wants to play. And I think that's actually pretty good. I think you could go older mentor who knows he's never really going to play. Or you can go a slightly younger guy who wants to play. And I think that that creates a little sense of camaraderie and competition. And it makes the room a little livelier, maybe. Not that it wasn't lively with Whedon, but stay with me on this. I just think it's a guy who really feels like he still wants to be a starter in this league someplace, and he's going to try it out here, not to be the starter, but to help Deshaun in any which way he can, and maybe he can prove something in the preseason, or God forbid if something happens to Watson, he can prove that he's still a viable starter, or can yeah. be a viable starter in this league. Yeah, you used the word accomplished, and in college, the one of the greatest college football games I've ever seen was in 2012. I went to the SEC championship game, and in that game you had Todd Gurley, who was a freshman at Georgia. You had Amari Cooper, who was a freshman at Alabama. You had, gosh, you had Alec Ogletree. You had Eddie Lacy. Um, You had, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think all the different Alabama defensive players. You had C.J. Mosley on the field. I mean, just look. That game was unbelievable. I like to go back and look at the the starting lineups of of those games. Chris Connolly, I remember catching the final pass. Aaron Murray was the quarterback for Georgia. And it was just an incredible game. And I'll never forget A.J., Around midfield, he he went to Amari Cooper, and he wasn't looking for Cooper. They were down, I'm trying to think, they were down four, I think. And he wasn't looking for Cooper initially, and, and Cooper actually stopped his route. And then A.J. saw him and launched. And I was like, oh, man, he threw that thing out of the back of the end zone, and Cooper caught it. And it was it was amazing because it was a neutral site game, and just the, the ebb and flow of that game. And A.J. didn't have a really great game up until that fourth quarter when Alabama trailed, and he brought them back. He had a couple of just brilliant drives and obviously capped with that one. And so he's very accomplished in college. And I think coming out of Alabama, I think people didn't see that lively arm that you want to see in a high draft pick. You know, why is Drew Locke and Dwayne Haskins, why are those guys going to be drafted really early? Mm -hmm. Because they're big, strong arm, prototype NFL quarterbacks. They can sling it and make every single throw. I think A.J. over the years has had to improve upon that. But he's never been able to really do it consistently in a game. Well, after he had that playoff run, I remember reading something from A.J. McCarron saying, hey, I think I think I could start this league. And I'm sure there are a lot of places where he, he probably could start. Sure. And so he went to Buffalo. And he ended up getting hurt in Buffalo and then moved on to the Raiders. He's behind Derek Carr. They let him go. And now at that point he's thinking, wow, I, I've just got to get my opportunity. And for him – his opportunity is going to come during training camp and then during the preseason games. Because in games one, two, and three, I'd imagine you're going to see a significant amount of A.J. McCarron. Yeah. Now, what they do with that third spot, that ends up being pretty interesting. Joe Webb is currently an unrestricted free agent. Right. I would love to have Joe Webb back for a number of different reasons. Because I think, to me, Joe Webb is the prototype third quarterback on a team I want to be in charge of. Because I can use him. I can use him in a lot of different ways, as we saw this last year. And then if I have to get to that emergency third quarterback situation, well, he's a quarterback. Yeah, and he's played He's a quarterback, so I I can live with that situation. I actually thought about one guy, Mark, and I want to get your thoughts on this. I wrote an article a a few weeks back before we were going to the Combine, and I said, here's a player to watch from each position. And – this is a copycat league in the NFL. We yeah. talk about that forever. You know what one team does, what has success with, teams want to copy it. What about this? What about drafting Nick Fitzgerald from Mississippi State 
in on day three. And here's why I say that. The Saints with Taysom Hill. Yeah. Taysom Hill is in every quarterback meeting. Mm-hmm. He lives as a quarterback. Is he a young Joe Webb, if you will? Yeah, exactly. That, uh, exactly. But I think the Saints use Taysom Hill more than we ended up using Joe Webb. Right, right. But in that, in that same vein, Nick Fitzgerald is a young guy, very similar to Taysom Hill. Big, strong, an excellent runner. Not a great thrower, and I think that's why he'll never, he'll never really be a, a big-time quarterback. But we kind of thought that about Taysom Hill, too. But the Saints found a role for Taysom Hill and said, all right, look, we can run him on sweeps. He can throw the ball. He can catch the ball in the backfield, play him on special teams. Nick Fitzgerald from Mississippi State is never going to be a, a big-time thrower. It's going to take him a while. But he can be in every quarterback meeting. Right. He can learn the offense that way. But because he's a really gifted guy with the ball in his hands, I think you could find different ways to get him the ball. So he ends up being your third quarterback. He, runs, he, he basically becomes your younger and perhaps more, more agile, more athletic, more accomplished Joe Webb. Yeah, more usable Joe Webb on a regular yeah. basis, not just special teams. So I'm, I'm preparing right now for a day three selection of Nick Fitzgerald, and when that's announced, people in this town will freak out because we drafted a quarterback in this draft, and I'm like, that's not what you're drafting with Fitzgerald. But right. the theory of Fitzgerald, and that is what he could provide for you that's a little different than a running back, a tight end, a watch. He gives you kind of all of that in one guy. Mm-hmm. And the one position that he can learn to play is probably the one he's not at this point ready to play, and that's quarterback. But he can learn all of that stuff. He can learn all that next to Deshaun and next to A.J. McCarron. I wouldn't be surprised if the Texans did something like that with, with him later in draft. You know, back to McCarron for a moment. If I'm McCarron, I'm wondering if there's not a better place for him, obviously where he's more likely to be a starter, based on just beating a guy out in preseason. He's not going to beat Deshaun Watson out. The only way he plays is if Deshaun gets hurt. But I think he's willing to take that chance based on the reps he's going to get in the preseason sure. and everything else. Because maybe it's just like this. There are 32 teams. There are only so many opportunities out there. Yep. If Miami is not going to sign you or Arizona is not going to sign you, where are you going to go? You know, Then you are at the mercy, if you will, I'll put that in air quotes, of an injury mm-hmm. to get playing time. And I'll, I'll throw this one at you. Would you rather have Blake Bortles or A.J. McCarron? I mean, I could build a case for both guys, but now that the Texans have A.J. McCarron, I'll build my case <laughs> for him. And I'll tell you why. Because there's upside there. I don't know what the potential yeah. is. With Bortles, I know what it is. Been there, done that. I know I yeah. know how high the ceiling is, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. With McCarron, I really don't. So if he ends up having to play, all right, let's just see what you got. Right. And that's the insurance policy you hope you never have to use, but at least you have it right now. Well, I'll give the Rams a little bit of credit. They, I don't want to say they gained the system, but I think they played it pretty well. They're only paying Bortles a million bucks. Yeah. It's a million dollars. Blake will make seven. The Jags are paying six. And the, the Rams are going to offset that with seven. So, the, obviously, the Jags are going to pay seven, but it ends up only being six because the Rams are going to pay him a million. So, the Texans, I think the contract is one year, three million for A.J. McCarron. I mean, look, it's a difference of two million bucks. But you get you get him free and clear of the Raiders, Bills, whatever the case might be. I I thought Blake Bortles would make for a good backup here because he's been in the fire. He knows. I mean, heck, he went to the AFC Championship game. But I always I always love when somebody brings that up because it's like part of the reason they didn't win the AFC Championship right. was because the coaching staff 
was fearful of what could happen. Yeah, sit on the ball with right. 90 seconds to go in right. the half. Those Absolutely. Things. So I think from that perspective, uh, you're right. It Maybe you don't. You don't know what AJ can do, mm-hmm. and that's sort of exciting. You know what Blake Bortles is, and even at that point, I I was willing to take him on as as a backup here. Right. I'm curious to see what he does with Sean McVay in that offense. Yeah. And I don't think this will happen. I think it happens more so in Tennessee than it happens in L.A. But if Goff doesn't get off to a good start, especially after the Super no. Bowl, I, I no start out there. Just throwing it out there. No, he's going to be fine. Oh, by the way, as because we're on the Bortles. Yeah. Did you see? Did you see at Blake Bortles facts tweet the other day? No. What was that? <laughs> Blake Bortles facts is maybe one of the better Twitter accounts there is. He said Super Bowl losses. Blake Bortles zero. Jared Goff one. <laughs> <laughs> and I just fell out of my chair. No blemishes. I, over the last few days, I laughed a whole lot, Mark. I needed that was hilarious. I just thought it was the funniest thing I'd read all day. I was like, that is so good. So Bortles goes out to the Rams. I'll tell you the one place, and I know, I know they already made a move for Case Keenum, but Washington just to me doesn't have any answers at quarterback. I'm not, I'm not totally sold on Case. I mean, I said that going into Denver. They have game. Colt McCoy still under contract. They have contract. Colt McCoy. Uh, they have Alex Smith under contract, but he's not going to play. And then they have Case Keenum under contract as well. So they've got them. So I can see A.J. going in that co- – I can see A.J. getting in the competition and winning it. I can see A.J. getting in there and ended up ending up – As a backup and maybe playing eventually. Maybe not even getting the, you know, getting the third spot. Aren't they drafting somebody? Oh, but yeah. they're running out of somebody. And we'll talk about one of the somebodies at a pro day today. That is coming up. I want to talk about some of these deals being thrown around around the league. Plus, Johnny and I have not been on the air together – to talk about the new Texans weapon up front offensively who has made the football team better. Maybe not leaps and bounds better, but better nonetheless. It's Texans Radio. Keeping you inside the building, NRG Stadium Rodeo out. Texans in, well, not really, April 15th. That's when they return for strength and conditioning. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you on Texans All Access. We've been talking about A.G. McCarron a ton Before we get to Darren Fells, I want to talk about this, Johnny, as I know Tyron Matthew did it last year, and he's certainly not the first to ever do it, but did he repopularize the one-year deal? And I call that, this is my description of this, self-franchising. You franchise (laughs) yourself. You bet on yourself like he did, and it worked. And a lot of these guys are taking these one-year deals. It's so popular right now to take yeah. the one-year contract because they realize, look, if I take three years at X, it's all about the guarantee anyway. Yeah. So why am I helping them out, them meaning the employer? Mm-hmm. I'll take my one year, take my chances that way. If I get hurt, I'm done anyway. So I'll take this one year, and then I'm a free agent again. And maybe yep. it all works out for me. Maybe it doesn't, but at least I get that one year for X million dollars, whatever that number is for that particular player. I don't think it's a bad idea for the player. I think it's a pretty good idea for the team as well. They're not protected moving forward with the non-guaranteed years that they could keep the player in their stable for. But they also, if they don't like the player, then they got to cut him and pay whatever that is, and that backs up against the cap. So you see what I'm saying here? What do you I know think exactly of this what phenomenon? You're saying. I know exactly what you're saying, and I think you're, you're exactly right. Now, a lot of people will look to Tyron and go, that's the way a player can absolutely play it. So what's the benefit to the team in doing this? That that's the other the other side is like what's the benefit to the team? Like we can see the benefit to the player. You just you just mentioned right. that. What's the benefit to the team? Well, well, look at it this way. Okay. Look at it this way. 
you can't buy draft picks. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. I think in the NBA, I think in the NBA you can. Maybe in the other leagues you can. You can't buy draft picks. And I remember that was a that was a big deal with the with the Brock trade. When you boil it down, essentially what Cleveland did was they bought because they knew they weren't going to keep Brock. Yeah. They essentially bought a second rounder with to, in taking on Brock and taking on that sixteen million dollar cap hit. Sixty million dollars. They owed it. They had the space. They bought the draft pick. And if Brock had somehow miraculously materialized into something, because they did play him in the preseason, they had a good look at him. Then, hey, whoa, wow, we got Osweiler. Right, and a second. Right, it didn't. But (laughs) it didn't. And and we sort of knew that was going to happen. Yeah. But and and it did. My point in all that is the Texans paid Tyron a one-year, seven million dollar. Uh, contract in 2018. When he takes the big deal with Kansas City, the Texans, because they signed him to a one-year deal, in losing him in the uh, compensatory pick formula, they potentially get a third-rounder. Next year, so, third-rounder. I know this is the NFL doesn't see it this way, and I'm not saying that's what the Texans did, because for $7 million, they got a really good player in 2018. So they got, for $7 million, they got him for a year, and they'll be able to get a third-round pick in 2020 for that particular player. Well, let's say it was this. Let's say they signed Tyron Matthews, the Texans did last year, to a three-year deal worth whatever, and to get out of it would have cost an extra, I don't know, six, seven million, just to get out of the last two years of the deal. Right. Well, that's six, seven million they don't have to give up right now if sure. they didn't like him. Right. right. If they liked him, they would get to keep him. That would be great. Right. However... He might not have signed that deal for that amount of money. Right. So it's a way for both parties to get kind of what they want. Right. He's sort of gambling, if you will, on himself. The Texans are hoping that he materializes into a good player and wants to resign here for whatever they're going to offer. If it doesn't work out, they do get the compensatory pick. So it's kind of a way. It's a it's a right. negotiation. It's a compromise, and I call it self franchising for the player. I'm going to take this one year deal. I'm going to get my money, and I'll see where it goes from there. Yeah, and and like I said. There is there is a benefit for the team at the end of it, even if they don't sign that player long term. Yeah. So take Bradley. Bradley Roby signs a one year, t- uh, ten million dollar deal. Apparently, same same sort of scenario. Yeah. If it hits, great. You keep him long. You you keep him long term. But if you can't come to a long term deal, then he goes somewhere else. If he has, there two ways, like you just said a little while ago. If it doesn't work, he's not the player you want him to be, then you have nothing invested in him in, in the future, future years. Right. So it's just like shake hands, it didn't work, nice try, okay, we're done. Mm-hmm. But if it does, then you got an opportunity to extend him long term. Right. If you can't come to terms long term, more than likely you're not coming to, to terms because he's taking big money to go somewhere else. Yeah. Well, then what do you get on the flip side? The you get the and you can still thing. franchise them anyway if Absolutely. you really wanted to. Yeah, so you've got a lot of different options. I think I, I remember last year when I saw the when Tyron signed the one year he's taking a one one year seven million dollar deal. I remember thinking, oh wow, really one year? And of course, at that point, you think, well, he's betting on himself. Yeah, it's worked out for Tyron Matthew, worked out for AJ Boye, and there have probably been plenty of players. That we know about it, and what it is with AJ is the team offered him a long-term deal, but when he had one year left on his deal, and he's like, no, 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 I'm betting on myself, and it panned out, 
It he did. ended up being the top paid corner. It did. And by the way, they offered AJ reportedly a good deal yeah, oh to yeah. stay around, but Jacksonville Absolutely. just broke the bank for him. Absolutely. They just completely blew it open. For so him. I'm with you. I think the one year deal is actually it's fascinating to mm-hmm. kind of watch how it unfolds because I don't I don't I don't ever want to say for the team's sake that there's really no risk involved, but there really isn't. As we just pointed out, there are a number of things that can happen. That player stinks. Cut ties. You're done. done. No long-term it's obligation. Just, you took that chance for one year. You're done. It works really well, and you try to extend him, and maybe you get him extended. It really works. You can't get him extended, but you get the compensatory pick as a result. Uh, to me, I think as a team, it's not a bad way to go. Yeah, it's very economical. It's efficient. All right. Fells. You and I haven't talked about Fells. I know you've been on the air talking about Fells. I've been on the air talking about Fells. But you were telling me that you watched him up close and personal. And it's funny because I was actually, I saw Will lying and I was thinking, you know, you got to be, obviously they asked his opinion about yeah, things. And, and all the coaches are looking at these players and every little play they have participated in. And I know you did too. But you think about a player like Fells. I've prepped to see Fells as a play-by-play guy. yeah. yeah. But you went back and looked at everything that he's done, and you were impressed by certain things that he's been able to do. This is a player who's going to make the Texans better. I mean, there's just no way. Now, I'm not saying it makes them into a Super Bowl team, but you look at the moves they've made this offseason, and you ask yourself, are they a little bit better? Yeah. Are they, you know, it's Deshaun Watson's 1% every day. Are they 1% better every day? After a while, it adds up, and I think he's one of those guys who's going to help things add up. Well, here's, this is why I said to DP last night, Mark, see if you agree with me. It feels like, and if you look at the if you look at the the signings, it feels like the signings are all answers to questions that the Texans put up on the board. The coaching staff and everybody got together. Brian Gannon said, "Okay, what are the things we have to get better going into 2019?" And they listed them all. And they're like, "You know what? We don't cover tight ends very well. We're not mm. really we're not really good in man coverage. Our pass protection has got to be way better." Guys on the inside have got to be able to match and mirror, and we can't get caught on rub routes and pick routes and all that kind of stuff. And, again, like I said, our pass protection has to get better at every single position that has to pass protect, which includes the tight end. It feels like every signing was, okay, well, hey, Tashawn Gibson is one of the best in the league at covering tight ends. Boom, done. And you did it for half of what you paid Tyron, or what Tyron was going to get from Kansas City. You're not great in man-to-man coverage. You struggled with guys that could run. Bradley Roby, sometimes inconsistent, but that guy can run, and when he's good, boy, he's great. That answer's number two, pass protection. Okay, they looked at tackles. They looked at Roger Saffold. They couldn't get the deal done with Saffold. But they looked at a tight end in Fells and said, wait a second, we don't always just protect with five. We have a, pass, we have a tight end in there a lot of times. Can that guy pass protect? Heck yeah. I watched the Broncos game because the Browns-Broncos game is where I, I watched Bodie Calhoun. And then I was like, hey, I got the game kind of queued up. Yep. Let me watch Fells. And Fells, is in, he's in probably 45 to 50% of the time. Because they have David Njoku. Yep. So that's, that's the main guy. But when Fells is on the field, you could tell the Broncos are thinking run. This is run. This is run. This is run. When Fells – so there was a, a situation late later in the game where they had Fells and Nick Chubb. That was a definitive key for the Broncos that it's run. So they put their base defense on the field. But the Browns wanted to, to spread them out in their base defense, getting a matchup that they liked. The offshoot of that was 
The flip side of that was Fels was going to have to be one-on-one with the guy across from him, who was Von Miller. Wow. Fels went one-on-one with Von Miller, and he went nowhere. Mm. And I like the sound of that. Von and, Miller going nowhere and, against your tight end. Sounds it, good. Exactly. And I remember seeing him with Cleveland and being down on the field, you get an idea for the size of guys. And I just remember thinking, boy, Fels is big. Oh, man. That was, you know, just watching. That was my first glance thought of looking at Fels. Man, he's big. And ironically, he's a guy that can block and he pass protects pretty well and he's a basketball player. Yeah. So he's got good feet. So he's got good feet. He's, a, he's agile. Look, he didn't take Vaughn and pancake him. But you know what he did? He played basketball with him. Mm. He tried to Vaughn tried to run by him. He he shuffled over. Vaughn went back inside. He shuffled back over. And then in so doing, Todd Davis tried to come to the outside. Vaughn went back to the outside. Fells is blocking both of them basically. Mayfield's got all kinds kinds of time throws enough. It's incomplete, but he had all kinds of time. And I think about some of the plays the Texans have had over the years with Deshaun the last couple of years. Tight ends play a key role in that. The hop spins. The reason that Deshaun is able to make that throw was because you had Ryan Griffin and Alfred Blue making a block on Randy Gregory. Well, what if that's just a tight end? Well, that allows the running back to get out of a pass route. Multiple options. Absolutely. No doubt. Here's so another one. It I, gives you an option. I got to play for Bill O'Brien in a goal to go which you know he's going to use this. I, Fells at least has two or three touchdown catches next year, which is not a bad number at all considering Jordan Thomas had four, and you get my drift here, that you have Fells in there, and they're going to be in obvious run sets from time to time, and now you go Fells right over the middle, right? Because, oh, he's never going to – oh, he yeah, did. Right. He just caught a pass in the back of the end zone because they leaked him out. Well, think about this, too. If you have Big Sean Trailback, you got Big Trailback. I mean, he's 335 if he's yep. a pound. So you put him at your right tackle. You line up Fells or Big Baby next to him. Yeah. And Big Baby's 270, 275, and Fells is 270. Yep. And then whichever one is not lined up to Big Trail becomes the wingback. Now, they used Aikens in that role last year. And Jordan, I thought, did a pretty good job. But all of a sudden, look at that run set with Chantrell next to uh, Fells with Thomas as your wingback. I mean – that's a lot of girth coming yep. at you that you can run the football and move people off the ball a little bit. So, as I said earlier, there's a checklist seemingly of things the Texans thought they didn't do well last year. They want to improve. And the guys they're bringing in seemingly hit those points dead on. But just because Gibson is great covering tight ends doesn't mean he can't help him in the back end in the middle of the field too. Right. That he's going to be a good tackler. He does those things. So the ancillary benefits that come with it as well. But those are the main things they hit. But with Fells at 270 pounds, you're right. He's going to catch – he'll catch 12 passes this year. Yeah. Not, not too much more, not too much less. But he's for gonna a key catch. first down here, there, a touchdown Absolutely. or two, give it to me along with the blocking benefits that, that you highlighted. All right, coming up, maybe a little bit more on this, what NFL teams fans are more upset than the Texans, who might be irrationally upset at this point and – I might, I mean, definitely some of them are. Not everybody. I don't want to accuse everybody. Also, safety goes back to Stanford. That's Justin Reed. We'll hear what brought him there in the first place and what it's like to get a college degree as an NFL player. And John Lopez's bracketology. Oh, can we talk Quarterback about this? bracketology. Yes. Is it right? Is it wrong? We will discuss on Texans Radio. 
It's Texans Radio, Texans All Access here in the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Now, before we get to the bracketology with the quarterbacks and other stuff that we promised we'd get to, Justin Reed, the 53 is out. It's on HoustonTexans.com. It's Justin Reed going back to Stanford. You hear from David Shaw. We heard his comments last week here on the radio. Now, what about Reed himself? Why Stanford in the first place? Here's a clip. What ultimately brought me out to Stanford was, first and foremost, my brother getting drafted by San Francisco was a huge, huge impact because San Francisco is right down the street from Stanford. And whenever I was in high school and Eric was at LSU, he would teach me about college ball. And then him being in San Francisco, I knew if I came out to Stanford, he would be able to teach me about the NFL before I got to eventually get drafted by the Houston Texans. Next, Coach Akina had transferred from Texas to here the year prior. And Akina has a long resume of guys. He's one of my favorite coaches of all time. Coach guys like Earl Thomas, Michael Huff, Kenny Vaccaro, Sedge Griffin, just, all, just a long, long resume of guys. And, I, and you can feel it any time that you talk to him how much he really loved ball and how much that he had to teach. And I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to learn under him. I wanted him to be my coach and help raise my level of play. Reed, on going to college as an NFL player, Stanford going there in the first place was very different from where he grew up. It is a little bit of a culture shock, you know. It was so much different from Baton Rouge uh, coming to Silicon Valley to where everything was so techy. Met all types of people from all over the world. Uh, one of my best friends from my freshman class is a Tunisian kid named Khaled. You met Nobel Peace Prize winners. You met Olympic athletes. Like People from all over the world all come to this one place at the same time. and You get to build so many unbelievable relationships and connections. And that's really the coolest part about coming to school at Stanford is that you get to meet all of these awesome people doing awesome things in their own respective fields. couple of comments there from Justin Reed, part of the 53, a series we have on HoustonTexans.com and the social media platforms. Go to the website, the app, and check out the whole story as skillfully done by Tyler Sudarth, our videographer, producer guy. So good, man. Yeah, so great. So, so good. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, a perfect combination, too. you got Suds going out there doing the work. Obviously, the subject, Justin Reed, as I tweeted today, is a star in the making. And then David Shaw is the absolute best. Yep. He's he's visited for Bear Bryant Awards a few times, and he's told our committee, he's like, look, I love this event. I love coming to Houston, and you got to commit to being a finalist. And he said, whenever I'm voted as a finalist with the, the ELT, just write me down in pen. I'm coming. Mm. He's like, the only way I wouldn't come is if I had some kind of conflict with family or something like that. But he's like, every time we have this event, you write me down, I'm coming. We're like, wow, let's okay, let's do it. He's, I, we love him. I mean, he's he's great. So it was a great combination of Coach Shaw and Justin. And I I love that Justin took a risk in going to Stanford. He went to a school. He went to high school. How about this? This is a high school safety lineage. His brother Eric Reed, a few years earlier. Yeah. Then in between Eric and Justin. Was Landon Collins at his high school? Justin Reed, yeah, <laughs> the that's high that's safety in, in U, Baton Rouge. safety HS, not safety U. Yeah, in, in Baton Rouge, man. Wow, holy smokes! All right, that's strong. Now, this is—I don't know if this is strong, but I love this topic matter. It's NCAA tournament week. Everyone's doing a bracket on everything. John Lopez and Landry Locker on the midday show did a quarterback bracket, all-time Houston Texans quarterbacks, but they screwed it up from the get-go, Johnny. Okay. Oh, boy. Here's how. They have a – in one regional, all right, so they have how many guys here? 16 guys. So they left off the list 
players like Dave Racone, for yeah. instance, and Brandon Whedon is not on here. So guys who haven't played much at all, they don't include. This right. is not just Texans. This is all-time Houston quarterbacks, so you have Oilers here, of course. Right. So here's one regional. Warren Moon matching up against Brian Hoyer in the first round. Dan Pastorini matching up against Sage Rosenfels in the first round. That is a terrible regional right there. Pastorini and Moon should not be in the same regional. They should have the opportunity to meet in the Final Four. Am I right or am I right? Instead, they got to get together at the Elite Eight. That's not right. Okay. I Here, would flip. Okay. Well, I don't want to steal your thunder, but there's a quarterback, the one that's seated third, I would flip. First of all, I would flip, I would flip him. I would oh, flip the quarterback overall. at three. The quarterback three overall is Steve McNair. Yeah. Now, if you go by what just what they did in the city of Houston, not McNair's much. not a three seed. No, he's not. McNair's not a three seed. So, so you really have to make up your mind. Chris Chandler, meanwhile, is a 10 seed. And you could argue, so Schaub and Chandler meet in the next regional, mm-hmm. along with McNair meeting Ryan Fitzpatrick, right? Let me just give you the rest of them here. Other first-round matchups, here's another regional. And they don't name the regionals, which they really needed to. <laughs> the Jim Kelly regional, I'll name it for them. He matches up against T.J. Yates in the first round. I think we know where that one's going. But although Kelly in Houston, a Houston gambler. Right. Does the USFL get any – I mean, Kelly did great in the USFL. Right. But does that get any juice compared to a playoff win by Yates? We all know Kelly's a Hall of Fame quarterback, but was he here? Uh, then, bottom part of that regional, George Blanda. Oh, my gosh. Early 60s Oilers. He won championships here. I did. Against David Carr. If you look at it this way, he's the only quarterback to win championships. Yeah, that's right. So I got to, you know, Blanda's going to win that matchup, but Kelly's going to beat Blanda the next. See, I, I'm skewed by Kelly's performance in Buffalo, so it's hard for me to get away from that. Then the next regional cracks me up. I call it the Stabler regional. It's Ken Stabler against Case Keenum in the first round, followed by, and I just feel bad about this one, Deshaun Watson against Don Truel in the next first round matchup. Don Truel, who's a Texans ambassador, great guy, played at Baylor, played for the Patriots and the Oilers. Mm-hmm. We're talking back in the 60s here. The AFL. The yes. AFL days. He was a, a wonderful – I think he played for the Patriots. He might have played at Fenway Park. The Patriots played at Fenway Park. He yeah, might have played yeah, there. I think that's true because that he was is, at Baylor in the early 60s. That is awesome. Yeah. That is really awesome. If you played football at Fenway Park, that uh, is just beyond awesome. All right. A, a couple, couple of things. Number mm-hmm. one – Moon is the number one is is dead on. I the the hard part for me with Kelly, like I'd have to sort of discount if we're talking about just in in Houston. Yeah, is that what we're talking about because it feels like they took all things in, into consideration. Yeah, here. they they did. They had to have right. I guess but unless you just said, look, I, you could say Chris Chandler deserves to be seated higher if that's the case because yeah, if, he's played he played a bunch of years and went to a Super Bowl. Right and. Like in Stabler too, For, but then again, if they took everything into account on Stabler, yep. Stabler's a lot higher than a nine seed. Yeah, that's true. If you take it's everything all screwed into up. account, Lopez, you screwed up the seedings and everything. So it's just a matter. It feels like they they kind of uh, they blended a few too many things. They put the wrong. They put the uh, the wrong emphasis on. They put mm-hmm. the emphasis on the wrong syllable. It feels like because <laughs> at certain times they like Warren Moon number one. Yeah, great. That like that's perfect. I wouldn't put if you based it just on what the quarterbacks did. Pastorini in is no worse than a two seed if you go it based on if you go based on what, what they, they did, did in Houston. Houston. Pastorini would end up being the two. I mean, and you could Without argue well he went if Pastorini because he did it in the National Football League 
and I know we had a lot of help, but still, I mean, he was the quarterback of that team that went to two AFC championship games. And I know they won one of those divisional games without him, but he got them there. Yeah. So is that worth more than what Blanda did in the AFL in the early 60s? I would think so. Yeah. yeah. And, I, you know, you look who you lose to, too, Johnny. You lose to one of the greatest teams in history, the Pittsburgh Steelers, twice yeah. in those AFC championship games. Yeah. If you base it on the quarterback. Just quarterback play? Just start of career to end of career, then Kelly is two. Stabler is not a nine. No, he's, he's not. He's certainly not a nine. Um, oh, I see what you're saying. All right, so, if you so just, now we're going to go the whole career. That's what I'm saying. It's like yeah. if, if you go based on what they did in How the city How is Kelly Houston, not one if you're doing that? I mean, seriously. What, the four Super Bowls? I, I know Warren Moon put up a bunch of yards. and Kelly went to four Super Bowls. Is, let me ask you this. All right, so you're drafting. Uh, it's hard to say, though. If you're drafting from this bunch, you could have any one of these guys in their prime. It's hard to not take Warren Moon. I want the Sean. That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. The guy I you have now is on this list, and I want to see where he takes me. Thank God. Yeah. Thank God. I, I, Jim Kelly, Houston Gamblers run and shoot Jim Kelly, was a bad dude. And Kelly Cake was a Kelly bad in dude. Western New York, Kelly. I don't know, man. I think Kelly might be the one seed. I think he would have to be. If you did it based on that, now if you did it based on what they did in Houston, and, th- and therefore, do you have to discount what Kelly did because he did it with the Gamblers in USFL versus mm-hmm. Moon did it well in with the Oilers? Where Kelly years. gets credit is be- it, it, you know what he did later, so you right. know he was good. You right. know you that he was, was good. good. So there wasn't a fluke. When and he then was you doing know that USFL. certain guys who played in that league, like Steve Young and Bobby Abair. Well, Bobby Abair, it's hard to bring him up as a great example here, but he was okay with the New Orleans Saints. You know what we right? need to do because we know a couple of quarterbacks on this list. Yeah, we need to put the bracket in front of them and see how. See how see they rate how, it. How they would do it. Yeah, but you know, every time I do that with an athlete, not every time, but a lot of times, they're just terrible at it. <laughs> like we can go because they DJ don't want to pick. They don't want to pick against guys. TJ Yates is right upstairs. We can ask him personally. T- that's what I'm saying. We can get TJ and say because T- TJ would be honest. Mm-hmm. Deshaun may not know kind of the the background on, on a lot of these guys because he's just been here. TJ's been here since 2011. I think TJ would be honest. Like I'm not beating. I'm not beating. Jim Kelly, yeah, he would play. He would play this out. I think Yates would be that would be fun to put in front of him. Keenum, I, Keenum as an eight, I was kind of like, uh, okay, okay, uh, maybe. I'll I think Friday we got to do another bracket, and because the tournament. Oh, did you will be see the pro- one that they just, they just did? Oh, uh, they did the free worst free agent signings. No, no, they no did this, that yesterday. No, no, no. This one today, greatest wins in Houston football history. Oh my God! This is good. Uh, the one eight they did eight eight not sixteen. The one eight game the one number one seed Oilers Chargers seventy nine. Yeah, that's the number one. I, that's got to be number one. The eight seed was Flak Jacket game seventy eight. Ooh, that's pretty good. Two Monday Night Football the Earl game against Miami. That's number yep. two. I can make a case for that being one. Number seven. Really? Number seven. The seven seed Christmas Eve kick at Cleveland nineteen eighty eight. Ooh, I that's like the that. seven seed. The three seed, Yates to Walter, 2011 against Cincinnati. That's the three. That's the three. The six seed, the first game ever, Texas Cowboys, 2002. Ooh. The number four seed, J.J. Watt pick six versus the Bengals, the first playoff game. Number five, the birth of Love You Blue, Monday Night Football, 79. Wait a minute. 
I was kind of one and the same, though. I thought I thought the Earl game was the birth of Love You Blue. Maybe not. I thought I don't know. That that's too. what I've always well, thought. The other one is uh, they don't have it here. It sounds like the Thanksgiving game. I once talked to McLean in detail about that game when the Oilers went to Dallas and won on Thanksgiving. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that is huge. To well, beat Dallas in Big D with Baum and Earl and Pastorini, Thanksgiving. That must have been colossal. That, that one never gets talked about, but what a great day that must have been. You're eating your turkey, and the Oilers are beating the daylights. I don't know what the There have been some was, good Thanksgiving wins for the, for the uh, Houston franchises. That one, <laughs> 2012. This, there have been some good yep. ones. Uh, I think what this top eight tells me mm. – 2019 and beyond's got some work to do. Get the, yep. get some wins on on this list. There were yeah. some good wins this year, but I I think I not of not of that caliber of these top eight. But that would be that would be fun to play out. But Oilers Chargers 79. I think that one stays at number one because nobody nobody saw that one coming. You know, I think nobody that, saw it coming. Vernon Perry was just amazing that day. As far as yeah, four interceptions. As far as this year goes. It's funny because we have this giant screen out in the lobby, right? Yeah. And and it's constantly running our video highlights and not just highlights of games, but stuff that's out in the community or wherever else, whatever else we shoot and put on HoustonTexans.com. But I saw hop spins. I saw that as I was walking by one day. I was just walking to somebody's office and that was on. Yeah. And I thought DeAndre Hopkins that night created not just a highlight, but it's art. It's a piece of art. I often talk about yeah. the receivers being artists. And that was so artful. Mm-hmm. And just to have that, you know, it, it's so funny because that's what's beautiful about sports. You don't know what's going to happen. Right. And all of a sudden, that happens, and it's one of the greatest thing you, things you've seen. I mean, I, you know, having the view that I did, I remember seeing the ball. I see Deshaun throw the ball, and I see DeAndre make the catch. And I just think, at that point, I'm thinking, I don't know why. I'm like, he's near the sidelines. I'm like, you know, get out of bounds. I knew the yeah. clock was not an issue, but I was just thinking, get out of bounds. And then he turns it up, and so I kind of have to move closer towards the field to see it. And I'm just like, he's he's just spinning. He's just spinning. And the last thing I will always remember out of that play, Mark, was remember he fumbled earlier in the game? Yep. He fumbled. And he came back and he told OB, I'll get it back. Yep. When, Va- when Leighton Van Der Esch tackles him, do you remember seeing he's got the ball in both of his hands, like up in yep. the air like this? You can't even see the ball. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, Tucky, this – the coach of me says, tuck it away, tuck it away. That ball was as safe in his two hands yeah. as it could have been anywhere right. else his on hands his are person. huge. You covered up the whole it thing, holding it like it was a ping pong ball. I John, think years from now we'll think about that game, maybe maybe in that realm. One word to answer, what fans are frustrated about free agency? Colts. Colts, yeah. Colts fans. And, and you know, like and when, when we look at the Colts, you think, oh, they're going to be okay. So it's kind of interesting how you have reactions to what yeah. has happened or not happened or whatever. We'll have more thoughts on this tomorrow. John McClain's going to be on the show. Johnny back on Friday. And we'll continue with the conversation always. Podcasts on HoustonTexans.com. Click on the Listen Pad. Go to the website for all the videos, the 53 on Justin Reed and all the other great stuff. Have a great night, everyone, and go Texans.